Welcome to the Easter Sunday edition, 2011, April 24th of Take Him With You. I'm Rick. And I'm Amy. And today, we're going to celebrate Easter by starting off with a cool song. Take a listen and enjoy. He's alive. Christ the Lord is risen. Satan's power lifted. Christ the Alive. What do you think, Aim? Do you like it? That's an awesome song. I thought so. It's yeah. kind of fun, and I thought it was appropriate for Easter. 
Yeah, it's perfect. By the way, this is episode number 116 or 17. Boy, don't ask me. You're the technical person. Here, You'll have to look it up. You know, you know how I could know? I would know. Because if, if everybody listens to the program, do they ever go to our site? Because I know a lot of people don't go to the, the podcast sites. But if you go to takehimwithyou.com, like this, takehimwithyou.com, and then you uh, look at the uh, the blog there on our page, it'll tell you that um, this is episode 116. Okay. 116 episodes we've done now. And it just seems like we started yesterday. No, it doesn't seem like we started a long time ago. <laughs> well, no. it depends. You do all the technical part. I just get to sit here and gab, so it's pretty easy for me. <laughs> well, that works. Um, I was going to say that uh, we have a really cool program today in honor of it being Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when people listen to it, but if they're listening during the week or, you know, sometimes we put it out a day early, uh, we are going to have a special today. Our friend Curtis Klinger. Remember when we had Kurt and Debbie on the show? Yeah, he's um, a longtime friend and an author. An author. He's got a book out. Um, you read his book, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Dean. Dean Ransomed. Right. And uh, you enjoyed that book quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he's written several short stories and a lot of different things. And he has written a story that we are playing today, a short story called The Nisham. I can't even say it right because he has this. It's it's written different Nisham. than it says. The Nisham <laughs> secret. Anyway, it's not really an Easter story per se, but it's a really cool story. And I thought it would be a, an appropriate time to get it out there to the masses uh, since... Kurt is just, or Curtis is such a great author, and this time he narrates the mm-hmm. the thing, and I put the score to it. I actually spent some time. You actually met when you did radio together years, yeah, and, years, years and years ago. Yeah, years and years ago. And he definitely has the radio voice. He does have the <laughs> the radio voice. I can't even get down as yeah. low as he does. But I did some uh, I did some really cool music for his um, mm-hmm. his stuff. So like some of the stuff like you'll hear here. This is cool. This is some of the music from the soundtrack. Not cool. That's mm. called Camp Maranatha. Well, and even though this wouldn't be a traditional Easter story, I think that if you get to the very end of it, you'll find the theme of second chances. Yes, exactly. And that's really, what it's all about. that's all what the gospel about Jesus coming to mankind um, and sacrificing his life so that we can have eternal life in heaven. Yeah. Um, it's, it, you know, the whole Easter story, as far as the biblical resurrection account, is definitely about second chances. That's for sure. And, you know, one of the things I think is, is really cool about Easter is, well, first off, I mean, if you really want to get technical, Easter really isn't Easter. You should be, we should be celebrating the, the death and resurrection of Christ every day, not just on mm-hmm. one Sunday a year. And then the, even the Sunday that we do it is really contrived by, you know, a bunch of different things that, anyway, it just really doesn't matter. The fact is that it's really cool that people will celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ. And mm-hmm. it seems to be celebrated worldwide on Easter Sunday, which is kind of cool. But uh, I'm not so much into the religious part of it as I am. I think it's it's cool that that it's recognized, that, mm-hmm. that what Jesus did on the cross for us is recognized. And, and you know, if you've listened to our show at all, we talk about it all the time. So it's not like it's not like this is some big, huge special occasion, even though traditionally I think people make Easter a big deal. Yeah, and, you know, we've talked about it before that 
organized religion has kind of set up some holidays to kind of redeem pagan holidays. Yeah. So originally Easter was um, to celebrate goddesses and fertility and all this stuff. And, and organized religion said, well, that's not really what we're supposed to be celebrating. I mean, we honor creation because God created it and it's wonderful and but we don't worship it. We worship the creator. And so they took some of the um, pagan holidays and um, decided to celebrate Jesus' birth and Jesus' resurrection. On, so so on Christmas and Easter really aren't on those exact dates, are they? The birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ aren't exactly on those dates, no. are they? Um, you know, Easter is close, though. Um, the resurrection is close because... The resurrection of Christ happened shortly after the Passover, oh, and yes. and so it is in at least that's in the season right. that 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 happened because um, Jesus what celebrated. You, okay, the now so Passover. you just used a, you used a big term Passover. Well, Passover what? Okay, well you got to go way back into Jewish history or Israeli history when you when the the Jewish people or Hebrews were enslaved in Egypt. Okay, I know how to do this. Okay. Has everybody seen the Ten Commandments? Cecil B. DeMille's the Ten Commandments <laughs> with Richard Burton and not Richard Burton. Isn't it Richard Burton? No. Okay, who is it then? It was the guy that played in Planet of the Apes. That's not Richard Burton. What's his name? No, no. Okay. It's, it's uh, oh gosh, I can't believe this. Charlton Heston. Oh, Charlton Heston. That's Let right. my people go. Yes. So let it be written. So let it be done. Yeah. So anyway, with uh, Yul Brenner as the Pharaoh, totally hey, no, 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 okay, exactly right. No, no, no. But, let's, yeah, but, but let's go back there for a minute. Yeah. If you've seen the movie or the if you've heard anything about it, yeah. there was this one point in time when a plague was coming across the land that was going to kill all the firstborn, the sons. firstborn sons of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Because there's like nine plagues before, and Pharaoh still wouldn't let the Jewish people go. Right. So, so this plague is going to come through, and mm-hmm. this is what Moses, God told Moses to tell everybody. If you take a lamb and you sacrifice the lamb and you pour the blood into a bowl and you take that blood and you you take, a, I think, a hyssop branch or something, I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly, and you sprinkle and spread that blood above the doorpost of the house, mm-hmm. when the spirit of death comes through the land, it, it, yeah. it, it, it will see the blood that's over the doors and over mm-hmm. the windows and it won't go into that house, so it won't kill the firstborn in those houses. But it will kill everybody that doesn't do that. Yeah, so there had to be a sacrifice of a lamb, and the blood was So here, even covered. back then, we see the type and shadow of Jesus dying on the cross, his blood shedding, and as a result of it, death doesn't have the same impact on us. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it is cool. And and really, we, we've had some listeners point out that really Passover celebrates the death and resurrection of Christ more than Easter does because you know the second really version of Easter with bunnies and, and eggs really has nothing to do with with Jesus' sacrifice on right, the cross and right. his death and resurrection. But So anyway, this yeah. that, that's Easter in a nutshell yeah. is that, that the whole idea is that Jesus died on the cross for us, went into the tomb and, and we recommend highly that you listen to our Easter special from a couple of years ago. And it kind of explains all of that in a in a modern kind of cool way, where a scientist goes back in time mm-hmm. and gets to uh, to um, experience the death and resurrection of Christ, and that's called beaten to a pulp. And you can get that right on our website at takingwithyou.com. Mm-hmm. We've got a link up there, 
and you can click on it and for free you can download it's about an hour or so long and it stars some of our good friends jan and yeah, richard and rico and daryl and simon world, meds so. is on there mm-hmm. and we just have a great time on that show and Catherine's on there you're on there nathan's on there my friend mm-hmm. preston's on there and and the original score and soundtrack and everything it's really fun mm-hmm. but go t- go take a listen to that and we just highly rec- recommend that uh but easter to us is very a very special time um only because it's like i say the whole world acknowledges for a moment in time that christ really did die for us and rose again so mm-hmm. as as a uh an exciting thing of that we have another song that we want to sing then we want to really quickly tell you about the film festival that we went to um that my son had a film in and mm-hmm. he won um uh, Best sound, and also we just found out that uh, in a documentary that he edited, he uh, won best director. So that's kind of exciting, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about our adventure right after this song. This song was um, is by a guy named Aaron Schust or Shust. I think it's Schust, but I'm not sure. And uh, one day when I was feeling particularly low, uh, Jen, our friend Jen from the Anomaly podcast, uh, said, "Hey." I've got something for you that I think you'll enjoy. And she sent it to me in the email, and it was a gift certificate for iTunes for a song. And this was the song that she gave me, and it's all about what Easter Sunday is all about. So uh, enjoy this song. We'll be back, and uh, we'll cover the film festival, and then we'll start the special by Curtis Klinger called The Nisham Secret. Died to be 
song Mm -hmm. i love how it talks about how god always was he always is and he always will be and i just that just always gives me goosebumps when i think about that especially when we live in a a world where things are so temporal things change all the time they do know that there's one constant in the universe and that's our lord and savior well yeah more in technical terms um god yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes I feel like we're at church, dear. You know, hey, we are the church, right? Right. We're part of the sure, church. Sure. Yeah. So I are. hope everybody's having a good Easter Sunday or yeah. a week or Easter week or whatever it is. We're, we're um, traveling to um, my uncle's today. Yeah. We're going to go and have, have an uh, Easter dinner with spiral ham. Yum, yum, yum. And scalloped potatoes. That should be good and a good time. And, and visit with Uncle Al and Grandma Ina. Yep. Your Emma. mom. Yep, we'll have a good time with the fam, and not our whole fam this time. Speaking of fam, mm-hmm. we got to go and visit my son at, our son, sorry, my son, our son at the film festival, didn't we? Well, in this instance, he was your son, because I have no technical ability like he Check does. Check out, this <laughs> is the, the intro to his film, the sound, uh, the soundtrack. I think his friend Michael wrote the score for it. Yeah, and he did an aw- The score was so good. The whole film was really good. We, we really enjoyed the film festival. We got to watch several films um, that the kids had made. And I, I call them kids, but they're really adults now. But they're they, kids to us. <laughs> yeah, but they sure did a wonderful job. But uh, we got to watch uh, Nathan's film. It was 23 minutes long. He was the director, and he also was the um, sound engineer, along with a friend named Mac. 
uh, Oxford that helped with the sound, and, and they he, won. He and Mackenzie won the best sound for a film. Yeah, film. which is really cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, the cinematography was awesome. I thought the whole thing was good, but particularly enjoyed the score and the special effects by a guy named Jimmy Reed were just. Is it Reed? Is that his Brown? Jimmy Brown? Jimmy Reed? Mike, I know a friend. Michael Michael Reed was the one who did oh, the that's score. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Well, Jimmy Brown did the the special effects, and I'm telling you, they were awesome, weren't they? They were great. Oh my gosh! There's all kinds of holograms and implosions and yeah. The name of the film was One New Message, and it was about a time traveler or a guy that a scientist that had invented time travel. Uh, through using a device that was hooked up to a cell phone, and it was really quite intriguing and a neat show. But uh, we really, really enjoyed it. I don't know about you, but I did. Yeah, it, I thought it was really well done. I was very proud of Nathan. I mean, to even come up with a 23-minute movie for this film festival was pretty amazing, especially with all the other stuff he had to do also. Oh, I know. It was. He's working on... A, a documentary right now for Steve Taylor. Taylor. I always get Tyler and Taylor mixed up. Steve Taylor, who's a longtime Christian rock star back from our day. Yeah. Um, and he's doing that for his internship for this. Um, and so he's. For, yeah, kind of like his senior project. Right. And he gets that all done, and then we go down in a couple of weeks for his graduation. Actually, and he'll have a, a bachelor's a bachelor's degree. A bachelor's in cinematography and media. We don't sound like we're very proud, do we? We are very proud. We're excited for him. Yes. So there you go. So if anybody knows anybody that uh, needs a good editor or assistant editor or or uh, gopher on a movie set or anything like that, let us know and we'll let Nathan know. Yeah. And we'll also have in our notes for the show the link to watch his movie mm-hmm. in HD on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll really enjoy it. Go take a listen to it or, or, or watch it and enjoy it. And then let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your comments on the next Take Him With You. We'll, we'll play them. Yep. Okay. Without any further ado then, is there anything else you want to say before we go? Anything else exciting going on in our house? I think that's the main thing. We're just kind of wrapping up the school year and um, with our son and our daughter and our other son's off to doing carpentry jobs. And yeah. So, you know, busy, busy, busy. busy Oh, I have to tell everybody my, my, from last week, you know, I had a little bit of money saved up for the iPad. Now, total almost $300. Wow. And that's without touching, we don't have to worry about bills or anything like that. This is separate money that has nothing to do with our household income, Mm -hmm. except for the change that I found all over the place. (laughs) Yes. My change jar. So now I'm up to 300, 250 bucks more, and, and that iPad and I, 2 is in my hand. I found a good way to get him to clean up the, the little messy phone area. I'll say, I think there's some change in there. If you want to tidy that up, you can find it. And what do I do? <laughs> I go right after it. It's my favorite thing to do. I'll have to hide some pennies on the breakfast bar where the mail tends to clutter up. Oh, you know, the other thing, too, that went on is I did a big photo shoot with you yesterday. Yeah, we went out and did a photo shoot for um, a friend of ours, uh, son who is graduating, mm-hmm. and boy, they turned out awesome. We had a really good time taking pictures. Used a couple of different cameras and lenses and all that jazz, and they sure turned out. And I, I liked them so much, I stayed up late and got them all done. Yeah, so if you know anyone in the Northwest here that Washington that um, needs wedding pictures or senior pictures done, get a hold of Rick. 
I have a fun he's time good, doing he's those. He's good at that, and he's very reasonable. Oh, I am. Thank you, dear. I'm so glad you said I'm reasonable. Well, I'm just saying you don't you don't overcharge. People. Oh, I thought you were talking about just my temperament that I'm such well, a reasonable guy. Well, I'm not guy. sure about that. You're you're one of those creative types, but you work what does that mean? With people. <laughs> well, anyway, I wrote a cool song um, years ago, and I want to play it for you in honor of Easter. Yeah, 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 yeah.
We hope everybody has an awesome, awesome Easter Sunday week. Easter Sunday week? Easter week. Um, and celebrating the death and the resurrection of Christ. I'll tell you what, one of the reasons that Amy and I are very, um, have a lot of joy in our hearts and we have fun and we enjoy people is because of what Jesus did for us. And we just want to, again, say, you know, this. we don't try to shove any of this kind of stuff down your throat. We're not uh, trying to convert you or anything like that. But we do, we do really highly emphasize the fact that Jesus loves you and cares about you so much. And we just wanted to say, Happy Resurrection Day, Happy Easter to you, and we hope that uh, He means a lot to you as well. And that's our our prayer and our hope is that you're well and your family is as well, and that uh, God has some significant meaning in your life. Amen. Okay, without any further ado, then let's get on to it. Uh, here is a wonderful special by a gentleman named Curtis Klinger, who wrote it called The Nisham Secret. I, I can't even say it right, but you'll hear it in the intro and everything. You can find more about Kurt at curtisklinger.org. That's C with Curtis with a C, C-U-R-T-I-S-K-L-I-N-G-E-R.org. And you can find all about him, and uh, you can email him and tell him what you thought of the, the show, or you can email us and let us know, uh, rick at takehimwithyou.com or amy at takehimwithyou.com. Love to hear from you. We'll be back real quickly at the end to wrap things up and talk about next week. And we hope you enjoy this great special today. The Nishram Secret. Copyright 2010. Narrated by Curtis Klinger. Original music score by Rick Moyer. Music produced in the studio of Moyer Multimedia. The Nishram Secret. Chapter 1. Come on, guys. I'm sure I saw a cave just past that boulder up ahead. We can hopefully get out of this rain shower. 18-year-old John Card labored for breath as he spoke. He was the leader of a trio of teenage city slicker wannabe hikers as they trekked across the rugged face of a southern Colorado mountain. Hiking above 10,000 feet in altitude, they were all breathing hard. David Hoffman combed his soaking wet, dark brown hair back with his fingers. If you call this a shower, I'd hate to see what you call a rainstorm. I hope there isn't a bear or a mountain lion in that cave, Sunday Price moaned. And my hair is ruined. 
and my clothes are ruined. She stopped to catch her breath. And I hope we're not lost. Stopping beside the giant boulder, about twenty steps ahead of the other two, John Card announced, Cave is right here! John Card and David Hoffman had been friends since elementary school. They were about as opposite as any two friends came. John was into mechanical things like bicycles and automobiles. David was into books, science, and daydreaming about the future. They were on summer break before they went off to college. David had convinced John to join him at a weekend retreat with his church youth group. David wanted to attend the retreat because he had a crush on a girl in the youth group, Sunday Price. Sunday was a bookworm like David. She had long, dark hair, was short and petite, and was usually found performing on stage at school and in a community theater near their home in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It was Saturday, July 24th. After lunch, everyone had been released until dinner at 5 p.m. The only catch to the afternoon free time? They had to stay in groups of no less than three. Beginning from the Camp Maranatha Lodge, John, David, and Sunday had hiked above Timberline in less than two hours. Then it started to rain. This hardly qualifies as a cave, David said as he and Sunday joined John in the rocky shelter. Leaning against a granite wall just inside the entrance, John brushed the water off his face and out of his blonde, wavy, short hair. Hey, at least we're out of the rain. At least it's dry, Sunday sighed. She was shivering from being cold and wet. I vote for resting a minute and then going back. That's exactly what I'm planning on doing, David agreed. John pulled a gold-plated watch from his pocket and checked the time. He shook the watch, then held it up to his ear. Ratcheting the stem, then shaking it again, he pressed the watch to his ear. My new watch stopped. He began to shake it again, but the watch slipped from his hand, smacked against the rock wall of the cave, and came to rest by his left foot. David snickered through his nose. Way to go, Ace! and you wonder why your watches never work. John bent down to pick up his watch. And who closed a car door on their new fountain pin last weekend? As he picked up his watch, he noticed a glint of silver near his foot. Brushing aside some gravel revealed a United States silver dollar. Eureka! He picked up the coin. What'd you find? David asked. What is it? Sunday chimed in also. John held up the coin. I found a silver dollar. Instantly, the three of them were sweeping the gravel floor of the cave with their feet. After a frantic minute of searching, they began to realize that there wasn't any other treasure in the cave. John leaned back against the wall and flipped the coin into the air and caught it again. Sorry, guys but it looks like there was only one.
"'Toss it here and let me look at it,' David asked. With a flick of his wrist, John tossed the coin to David. "'Here, check it out.' David caught the coin. Nineteen twenty. This isn't real.' David held the coin out for Sunday to look at. John perked up. "'What do you mean, not real?' Tossing the coin back to John... David chuckled. <laughs> they haven't minted a silver dollar since 1904. Catching the coin, John examined it. It sure looks real. After a moment, he pocketed it. Sunday began to lean against the back wall of the cave. Hey! she exclaimed and quickly stepped away from the wall and at the same time turned to face the wall. What is it? David asked with sincere concern. I don't know. Sunday replied as she cautiously stepped toward the cave wall. I felt something. She held her hand out toward the place she had begun to settle against. There's air coming from the rocks here. David joined her, holding his hands out toward the wall. Hey, I can feel it too. Stepping closer to the rock wall, he swept his hand near the wall. This area of the wall is leaking air. Moving nearer the wall, Sunday became excited, and it's warm. She quickly hovered close to the wall. Moving close to the wall, David hovered beside Sunday. Ah, this feels good. It must be a fracture through the geology of the mountain, allowing heated air from deep below to escape here. There's a lot of hot springs in the area around the bottom of the mountain, like the one at the lodge. We've just found a dry vent. On a cold winter day, I bet there's steam coming out here. Joining David and Sunday, John waved his hand near the wall. I'm just glad that it decided to turn on while we were in here. Things like this don't just turn on and off, David said with a condescending tone. But John's right, Sunday interjected. When we first came in, I leaned here and didn't feel anything. Explain that, Mr. Science, John chimed in. He was obviously happy to have Sunday on his side. Folding his arms across his chest, David looked at Sunday, then at John, and then back to Sunday. You're right. It doesn't make sense. For a long moment, they didn't say anything. They just hovered close to the wall and to the warm air. David finally broke the silence. If this is coming from a natural hot spring, it should smell like hydrogen sulfide. You know, like rotten eggs. He took a deep breath through his nose. If I didn't know better, this has a hint of a smell like motor oil. Taking a deep breath through his nose, John agreed. You're right. I can't believe I didn't notice that before. Makes me feel right at home. He closed his eyes and leaned against the rock wall. It's weird, but it even feels like it's vibrating a little. David placed a hand on the rock. It does feel like it's vibrating. Venturing her hand on the wall, Sunday agreed. I feel it too. She placed her other hand on the wall. As soon as Sunday placed her second hand on the wall, a pneumatic whoosh occurred. 
and the three of them suddenly found themselves inside a cave that was rotating. In the time it took to blink twice, the entrance was closed and they found themselves in total darkness. Sunday screamed! When the rotation stopped, Sunday was still screaming. She threw herself against David, pinning him against the cave wall. Her scream was stilled by gulping a panic-filled breath of air. John had lost his balance when the rotation began, and he was now crumpled against the cave wall. What happened? he asked. Then he noticed that the cave entrance no longer looked out at a rainy Colorado sky. It now looked down a gray tunnel that appeared like it was possibly made of stainless steel. Slender tubes of blue light running along each side of the tunnel began to glow brighter. The tunnel sloped down and gradually turned to the right. Two people could easily walk abreast down the tunnel, and it was twice as tall as it was wide. Sunday was hyperventilating, but managed to ask between breaths, What happened? Where are we? His eyes were fixed in a stare, and his lips and throat were dry, but David managed to say, This is so nifty. Scrambling to his feet, John gazed down the tunnel. Wow! He began to walk toward what was the cave entrance, but now was the tunnel entrance. Wait! David nearly yelled. Don't go in there! John stopped and looked at David and Sunday. Why? There ain't any wild animals down there. Let's face it, bears and lions don't make shiny steel tunnels with blue lights. He continued to the entrance and stepped out. On his second step into the steel tunnel, the rotating cave door released a whoosh of air and began to turn. David yelled, John! Sunday screamed into David's chest and clung to him tightly. In the time it took to blink three times, David and Sunday had returned to the outside, facing the sky and rain. Quickly letting go of Sunday, David began frantically pushing on the back wall of the cave, trying to replicate where their hands had been when they had originally opened the door. He was also yelling, John! John, can you hear me? Realizing what David was trying to do, Sunday joined in, pushing on rocks and calling, John! John! From inside the tunnel, John had watched as the rotating door scooped David and Sunday away to the outside of the mountain. From his side, the back wall of the cave was a steel grid. He could just see a glimpse of light through the grid and the rock on the other side. Through the wall, he could also hear David and Sunday. Quickly glancing around, his eyes focused on a square pad on the wall to his left. The pad was slightly larger than his hand, and it was dimly glowing with a blue border. He pushed on the pad. Before John had time to step back, the door mechanism activated, rotating the cave entrance and returning David and Sunday to the inside of the mountain. David and Sunday were elated and dazed. We did it, Sunday announced. We made it work again. John, are you okay? 
David asked. We didn't know if we could make the door move again. Holding his right hand up, the universal sign for stop, John calmly said, Guys, there's a button on this side, too. He pointed with his left hand toward the pad on the wall. However, now the pad was not glowing. That's odd. It was glowing a second ago. It doesn't matter, Sunday said, finally catching her breath. You're okay, so come on, let's get back to the lodge. Folding his arms across his chest, John declared, Are you kidding? I want to explore this tunnel. I want to see where it goes. He looked directly at David. What about you? What do you want to do? Looking first at Sunday, then at John, David finally said, I'm with you. I want to see where this tunnel goes. He put his hand on Sunday's shoulder. I promise we'll only go a little way, and we'll be back here in 30 minutes. I'm sure we can make it back in time for dinner. Fear and panic smudged the cosmetic that Sunday wore on her face. What? She gasped. You expect me to sit here alone for 30 minutes? This place gives me the creeps. I will not sit here while you two go exploring. You won't have to, David said. And with a single fluid movement, he gently nudged her toward John. The moment they were both out of the revolving cave door, there was a sound of escaping air and the door rotated away from them. When the door came to a stop, the border of the pad on the wall began to glow with a dim blue light. The Nishram Secret Chapter 2 For all of two seconds, John Card held Sunday Price in his arms before she caught her balance and her breath. Then she reared back and slapped him in the arm. Sunday turned toward David Hoffman, who had pushed her into John. David had stepped out directly behind her of the fake cave entrance that was really a revolving door into a secret tunnel. Being slightly off balance from her brief tussle with John, she managed to end up next in David's embrace for all of two seconds. Sunday pushed herself away from David and half cried and half screamed, Stop! With all of the strength she had, she attempted to slap him. David, however, had stepped too close to Sunday for her to truly slap him, and instead received a punch on his shoulder from her forearm. Hey, he said, and captured both her hands in his. You said you didn't want to stay here alone, so come with us. Pulling her hands free from David's, she backed up to the tunnel wall opposite him. I don't believe you just did that. What if we're trapped in here? What if we die in here? She began to sob. I just want to go back. I'm scared. David took a deep breath and sighed. Sunday, I apologize. We'll bring you back, and after dinner, John and I will come back and explore the cave without you. He turned to John. Push the button, John. Let's go back. 
You and I will return after we bring Sunday down to the lodge. Hesitating briefly, John finally put his hand on the pad that was slightly larger than his hand and had a glowing blue border. He pushed it. A whoosh of air and the door rotated so the mock cave was facing them. If we go back, you have to promise that you won't tell anybody about this. We have to tell someone about this. The sheriff or the army or someone, Sunday said, still sobbing slightly. Standing his ground, David agreed with John. No, we can't tell anyone. But why not? Stepping up beside David, John answered, What if there's treasure hidden down here? We could divide it between us. But if we tell someone, then we may not get any of it. Wiping the trickles of tears from her cheeks, Sunday softened a little. You don't know if there's any treasure down here? We may never know unless we explore this cave. Fifteen minutes, David pleaded. And I promise, we'll turn back if there's any sign of danger. Silently, his eyes pleaded with Sunday. Unexpectedly, the revolving door activated, and with its now familiar whooshing sound, it rotated, closed. John and David stared at each other with wide eyes. David asked, Did you do that? Shaking his head, John replied, I swear, I didn't do anything. Cupping her hand over her mouth, Sunday gulped. Her eyes were glued on David. She moved her hand away from her mouth slightly and asked, You really want to go down the tunnel? Gathering his composure, David answered, Yes. You promise? Only fifteen minutes? Again, David answered, Yes. He nudged John with his elbow. John quickly agreed, Just fifteen minutes. Time's pendulum paused. Sunday stared down the tunnel. David and John stared at Sunday. Warm air from the tunnel quietly passed them on its retreat through the wall where they first felt it. Like a cemetery at midnight, there was no sound except their breathing and their own heartbeats. Breaking the silence, Sunday assured herself just above a whisper, Fifteen minutes. I can do fifteen minutes. She turned her attention to David. If we don't find anything in fifteen minutes, we're getting out of here and going back to the lodge. That's the deal, David replied. He turned to John. You take the lead. Sunday will be in the middle and I'll take the back. Folding his arms across his chest, John quickly asked, Why should I take the lead? Shrugging his shoulders, David replied, Okay. I'll take the lead and you take the back. Oh, and get us lost? John said, and without hesitating, he began to march down the tunnel. With a chivalrous flair, David motioned for Sunday to follow John. After you, he said. Without hesitating, Sunday followed John. As she passed David, she flashed him a hint of a smile. Quickly they realized they were spiraling down. The tunnel always vanished to the right and maintained a consistent downhill grade. 
There were no markings on the walls, ceiling, or floor. Only the thin tubes of blue light along each side. Without any commentary or dialogue, they walked along in silence. Breaking the silence, Sunday whispered a question. How will we know when we're gone 15 minutes? None of us have a watch. David whispered a reply. I'm really good at keeping time. I've been counting my steps, and I would guess we've been walking for about three minutes. Is that all? Sunday's voice raised with a question. Hey, John said and stopped. Be quiet and listen. What? David asked. John shushed them. They stopped and listened. After a moment, David asked in a quiet voice, What is it? I don't hear anything. Turning to face Sunday and David, John whispered, Exactly. He paused and then explained, The air isn't moving like it was. Whatever was pushing the air through the tunnel is off. For a moment, they didn't breathe or move. Sunday quietly whimpered, Are we going to suffocate? David dared to reach out and touch her shoulder. There's plenty of air in here. Even without the airflow, you're going to be fine. A weak smile is all Sunday could muster to acknowledge David's concern. Time's a-wastin', let's keep moving, John said as he turned and resumed leading the march. Silently they plodded on. There was no change in the tunnel. It always sloped down at the same grade. It always was lit by two slender blue tubes. It always gradually curved to the right. Sunday paced herself so she was only a couple of steps ahead of David and a dozen or more steps behind John. When they had gone on for a while, David casually announced, I think it's been about ten minutes. Glancing over her shoulder, Sunday asked coyly, Are you really keeping time or are you just making it up? Before David could answer, John interrupted, Hey, guys! There's one of those pads on the wall up ahead. Whatever you do, David said excitedly, don't touch it. Stopping and turning around, John replied sarcastically, What do you think I am, stupid? David and Sunday caught up to where John stood, and together they ventured to the place where the square pad on the wall glowed with a blue border. I don't see any sign of a door or even a seam in the tunnel, John mumbled as he scanned the surroundings. Running his hand along the wall, trying to feel for a seam, David agreed. If that will open a door, I sure don't see where it would be. I don't think we should touch it, Sandy pleaded. Scrutinizing the ceiling, David commented, It's like, ring the bell and see what happens, or... Don't ring the bell and forever wonder what would have happened. What's that supposed to mean? John asked. It was something that George MacDonald wrote in a story, David replied with a shrug of his shoulders. Before there was a moment more discussion, John quickly placed his hand on the pad. 
Instantly, the section of tunnel they were in shifted by a few degrees. The thin tubular lights changed and began to glow with a cool green light. Also, the tunnel now seemed to be straight and level in both directions. Sunday began to pound her fists on John. You couldn't leave well enough alone. Why did you have to touch that thing? Corralling Sunday's arms, David tried to calm her. Hold on! He scowled at John. You would have to go and touch that pad. Raising his hands, John observed, I think we're in another tunnel. It's simple. We just rotated in line with another tunnel. As he let his arms down, he purposely touched the pad again. In less than a blink of an eye, they were back in the blue tunnel. Prodigious, David sing-songed. Yeah, John agreed. Stiffening her arms to her sides, Sandy exclaimed, I knew I shouldn't have come with you two. I'm going back. I hope you two are lost in this mountain forever. Tears began to pool beneath her dark brown eyes. Attempting to intercede, David apologized. Sunday, I'm sorry for bringing you down here. He gave John a look that John didn't need to have explained. Listen, John began, I'm sorry too. I promise I won't touch anything again. Biting her lips together and sniffling, Sunday stood frozen and silent. Sighing in truce, David said, Okay, let's go back. No, Sunday blurted. She took a deep breath and wiped the tears from her face. I said I would go with you for 15 minutes, and we have about five minutes to go, right? Nodding his head, David replied, I was going to give us about three to five more minutes. I was going for another hundred paces. Turning her glare to John, she growled, If you so much as touch anything, I promise I will kick you in a place that you will long regret. John's expression made it clear that he understood the rules. Okay then. Dave, you count the paces. I'm putting my hands in my pockets. And with that, he turned, put his hands in his pockets, and began leading them down the tunnel. Silently, Sunday followed. David took up the tale. After they had gone 80 steps, they heard behind them the sound of the tunnel being activated. The meshing of gears and the whooshing of air resonated through the passageway. A moment later, it activated again. Then, there was the distinct sound of footsteps. Come on, John whispered loudly. Someone is coming. We have to find some place to hide. Without hesitation, the three of them began to run. Staying close together, they kept a pace that was slower than a sprint, but faster than a jog. John's hands were out of his pockets and swinging in cadence with his legs. They ran until they were dizzy and gasping for breath. John was the first to slow as he clutched his stomach and gulped for air. I have to stop, he whispered hoarsely. We have to keep going, David said between breaths. He tugged on John's arm as he passed him. Come on! Sunday slowed, 
but didn't have the breath to say anything. She was a torrent of panic and fear. Her tears were from both. Moving at a fast walk and still holding his stomach, John suggested, Maybe we should just give up. Whoever it is might just escort us to an exit and tell us to beat it. Matching John's pace, David replied, Have you thought that maybe the reason no one's ever known about this place is because no one gets out of here alive to tell? Stop it, both of you, Sunday cried. Slowing until she was arm length ahead of them, she faced them and she paused from walking. I want to go home. I, I don't believe I let you talk me into this. Wiping more tears from her face, she continued, You two can stay here and rot for all I care, but I'm going to find a way out, and I will find it, with or without you. Placing her hands on her hips, Sunday gave them each a firm look and concluded, Now, are you going to come like men, or do you need your diaper changed? Before David or John could reply to Sunday, a man appeared from the direction they were going. He was huge, nearly eight feet tall. His head almost touched the ceiling of the tunnel. His shoulders were as wide as a front-end loader. Thick hair, as black as carbon, hung to his waist, as did his beard. Control! His voice boomed like dynamite. Sunday screamed. Reacting to the sudden appearance of the giant man and Sunday's scream, John turned to run. He almost ran into another man nearly the equal of the first man. They were trapped. Sunday gulped for breath, her scream wilted into hysteric crying. David corralled her into his arms and managed to muffle her hysteria. John quickly clamored to David and Sunday. Sunday grabbed John's arm and pulled him to her, sandwiching herself between the two boys. Hosatos! The foreign words rumbled out of the second man. Sounding like an earthquake, the two giant men conversed. With their arms, they gestured like symphony conductors. Their brown eyes flashed with fire from their deeply tanned faces. Yet, there was kindness and gentleness about the men. An aroma, like wild game, filled the passageway. Their woolen garments were wet from being out in the recent rain. Suddenly, the first man stopped and held up both hands, brushing the ceiling. Calmly, he said to his partner, in English, We should speak in the American English for our visitors, lest they think we are barbarians. He smiled at the three youth and said, Please, forgive us for frightening you. With a chuckle, he added, You frightened us too. Who are you and what is this place? David asked with a nervous breath. We didn't mean any harm, Sandy blurted out. With another breath, she added, We'll leave and won't tell anyone about this place. We promise. She was trembling like the grass-skirted doll on the dash of John's 1917 Ford Model T. Forming a steeple with his hands, the giant man ahead of them said, We are Misham. I am called Eolus. Gesturing to the other man, he introduced him. He is my brother, Bracol. Extending his hands out, he added, 
you have managed to find your way into the passage that connects our home, Sharam, with yours. Swallowing a nervous lump in his throat, David asked, You live underground? No, Eulish chuckled. His gaze focused on each of the three youth for a moment. Then he asked, Would you like to see our home before you return to yours? No, Sandy blurted out. Just show us an exit and we promise we won't tell anyone about your secret tunnel. Bowing his head, Eulis said, Very well. He looked at his brother and said, Recall, let them pass. Wait, David put his hand on Sandy's shoulder. He gazed at Eulis and asked him, How much farther would we have to go? Removing David's hand from her shoulder and holding it between her hands, Sunday gently turned his attention to herself. You're not serious? Staring into her dark brown eyes, David asked, You're not the least bit curious? Making a three-way huddle, John interjected, I'm curious, but are we acting like three happy little bugs walking down into a black widow's nest? The Nishram Secret Chapter 3 Sandy Price peeked over David Hoffman's shoulder. Filling the passageway, the two giant men smiled and nodded at her. Returning to the huddle with David and his friend, John Card, she whispered, If you haven't noticed, they aren't human, John whispered his agreement. They look like the type that would invite you to dinner, and you're the main course. Glancing over his shoulder, David smiled at the man who called himself Eulis. Then he returned his attention to Sunday and John. My gut feeling says these guys are all right. If they can build tunnels like this, can you imagine what their home looks like? He straightened himself up. I'm going with or without you guys. After a moment of silence, John moaned. I'll go too. After all, I think they would be pretty disappointed if you were the only thing on the menu. Taking David's hand in her own, Sunday said, Well, I'm not going to wait here alone, so I'm going too. After all, they may want dessert too. David held tight to Sunday's hand turned and faced the Nashram men. Trying to swallow the lump in his throat, he addressed them. Mr. Eulis, is the offer still good to see your home and then be safely returned here and allowed to leave? The man named Eulis bowed. His mane of black hair and beard flowed forward like the branches of a willow tree in a wind. I give you my word. You will have safe conduct. Bracot added, 
You would be welcome to join us for our daily meal. However, we only dine on venison, fish, and an occasional rabbit. Sunday nudged John, who didn't need any help blushing. John gave David a friendly push. Just remember, I want to be back in time to hear some of the Red Sox-Yanks game. With Babe Ruth up to bat for the Yanks, it's going to be a great game. The game's tomorrow, you dope, David said and returned a friendly push to John. Following the Nashram men down the passageway, they quickly came to its end. When Eulis was satisfied where David, Sunday, and John were standing, he placed his hand on a glowing blue pad. A short section of the passageway where they stood began to rotate. The lights of the passageway turned off. As they rotated, it appeared that they were in a black cave with countless tiny lights scattered in every direction. Continuing to rotate, they came to a stop and the passageway lights began to glow with a soft red light. Eulis and Bricro led them out into the open room with a clear blue sky above. David and Sunday followed them. John only stepped to the edge of the passageway. He placed his hand on the glowing red pad. John! David and Sunday called, but the passageway had begun to rotate. I'm sorry, he called out, but they were gone. Again, he was in the pitch blackness with the millions of points of light. Then the passageway aligned with the blue tunnel. John began to run. He ran until his legs burned. He ran until his lungs burned. He ran up the spiraling tunnel until he arrived at the cave entrance. Placing his hand on the glowing blue pad, the end of the tunnel rotated, revealing the rock face of the mountain cave. He stepped in. Again the door rotated, delivering him into the shallow cave where they had first begun. Quickly he retraced the route they had taken to the cave. The day had become hot and dry. The sun seemed to be higher in the sky. Suddenly he came to a tall fence rimmed with a coil of sharp wire. Where did this come from? He panted to himself. Keeping the fence on his right, he followed it. Soon he came to a gate, shut with a heavy chain and padlock. On the outside of the gate hung a large metal sign. John was on the wrong side to read it. Not far ahead, he saw the corner of a fence was loosened. He squeezed himself through the gap and returned to the gate and read the sign. Keep out. United States government property. Trespassers will not be tolerated. Two ruts led down the mountain away from the gate. Tired and thirsty, John followed the overgrown and long abandoned road. After a hundred yards, the ruts smoothed into a dirt road with a T-intersection leading off to the left. Rustic log poles stood on either side of the road and held a wood beam over the road. It looked just like the entrance to Camp Maranatha, except there was no sign. John turned down the road. Just past a bend, the road opened up into what should have been a parking lot, now overgrown with weeds and tall grass. 
cold sweat and dry heaves were John's reaction to seeing the derelict of a building across the open area. He was at Camp Maranatha, or what was left of it. The Nishram Secret Chapter 4 John Card had no life for the next four years. He was classified as Top Secret by the United States government. He was examined and studied by doctors and scientists from around the world. After four years, it was still a mystery how an 18-year-old young man could disappear in 1920 and then reappear 52 years later in 1972 and not have aged a day. Teams of government contractors excavated the mysterious mountain like ants on a pile of sugar all that was learned about the mountain was that it had strange weather patterns of wind and rain. No tunnels were found. Stepping into the future for John Card involved a learning curve that looked like a vertical straight line. Many things had changed in the world, but some things will never change. John fell in love. It is said that time will erode memories like water erodes rock. John Card, however, carried a memory that was a rough diamond. The Nishram Secret Chapter 5 Happy birthday, Grandpa, a golden-haired nine-year-old girl announced. She was leading her twelve-year-old brother and three cousins, two girls and a boy, into the living room where their grandfather, John Card, was sitting. Angie, the nine-year-old, was carrying a gift wrapped in light blue tissue paper. Written with bold black marker on the tissue paper was, Happy 70th Birthday! And below the 70 in small print was printed the number 120. Handing the thin rectangular package to her grandfather, Angie proudly said, I hope you like it. Angie's mother interjected, They all work together to make it. Receiving the gift, John paused and gazed around the room at his family. His oldest, Peter, was there with his wife, Kim, and their two children, Alan, who was 16, and his 14-year-old sister, Nancy. Mary and her husband, Dan, were there with their 14-year-old daughter, Kathy, and Jill and her husband, Adam, were there from Portland with their two children, 12-year-old Thomas and 9-year-old Angie. 
Stepping into the room from the kitchen, John's wife, Anne, said, Grandpa better like it. It's all he's getting for his birthday. She smiled and winked at her husband of 43 years as she sat beside him on the arm of his chair. Having all of you here today is my best gift ever. John's voice nearly broke with emotion. Aww, 12-year-old Thomas moaned. You don't know what we made you. John looked at his grandson and said, Happy. You've made me happy. He held up the present and chuckled. And now, let's see what you all have been so busy with. Carefully, he removed the blue tissue paper from the present, revealing a rustic wood 10-inch by 12-inch picture frame. Mounted in the frame was a photograph of a range of mountains. Set on the photograph above the central mountain peak was a 1920 silver dollar. Peter offered an explanation. When we were visiting Colorado earlier this summer, Alan wanted to take some pictures of the mountain from your story. Mom suggested that we could frame this photograph and display your silver dollar with it. Anne added, Peter even made the frame. John had fallen silent as he admired the gift. His eyes glistened with tears when he looked up and said, We'll have to find a special place to hang this. Thank you, all of you. Grandpa? Thomas nestled up next to his grandmother and asked, Will you tell us the story? I'm sure any of you could tell it as well as me. Stuffing his hands into his pockets, 16-year-old Alan said, Come on, Grandpa, I want to hear you tell the story. Coming in behind her nephew and placing her hands on his shoulders, Jill added her agreement. Dad, it's your story, and we want to hear it from you. Squinting over his glasses at his captive audience, John grinned and said slowly, On one condition. Who wrote the number 120 on my gift? His gaze went from one face to another. Alan fidgeted and confessed, Dad told me to do it. Squealer, Peter chuckled to his son. Like a glass overflowing with water, the room overflowed with laughter. Breaking into the laughter was the chime of the doorbell. I'll get it, Anne said. She slid off the arm of the chair and went out to the foyer and answered the door. Except for a couple of giggles from the youngest ones, everyone fell silent. Returning to the room, Anne addressed her husband. John? There are some young people here, possibly a couple of students from the university. They're curious about your old Model T. Shall I ask them to come back at another time? Pausing for a brief moment, John then replied, No, don't send them away. I'll talk with them for a minute. He quickly scanned the faces of his family, then said dramatically, and when I return, I'll tell you why I'm really 
one hundred and twenty years old. Using his old-fashioned bentwood cane, he stood and walked through the laughter and applause to the door. Opening the door, John dropped his cane and gasped. He crumpled to the floor like a wet piece of paper. Outside, the young man and woman reacted quickly. They rushed into the house and knelt by John's side. John, are you all right? David Hoffman asked. Hearing the noise, Anne rushed into the foyer, followed by her children and grandchildren. She quickly knelt to the floor beside her husband. Darling, what happened? Reaching up and touching the girl's face, John whispered, Sunday, is it really you? He shifted his gaze to David. Dave? Tears filled his eyes and overflowed, filling the wrinkles on his face. You're both still alive, but how? Taking Sunday's hand in his own, he gently caressed it. You haven't changed a bit. You're just the same as I remember you. David shrugged his shoulders and answered, Eula said this would happen. It's something about speed of light travel. We've only been gone a few days. John, Sunday interrupted, why did you run? Reaching up and touching Sunday's hair, John replied weakly, I... I was afraid. Anne slumped against the wall of the foyer. She had always pretended to believe John's story. Now she realized it was true. Sunday reached out and touched Anne's arm. Are you alright? I'm sorry, we should have introduced ourselves. Anne shook her head. Her face was expressionless and her lips had gone dry. You're Sunday Price and David Hoffman? From the back of the foyer, Alan exclaimed, I knew Grandpa's story was true. After helping John and Anne to their feet, Sunday and David stood in the entryway holding hands but appeared to be anxious about the time. Sunday said, John, I was afraid too, but I somehow mustered the courage to follow Euless. She glanced toward David and added with a smile, and I'm glad I stayed. Scanning across the faces of John and his family, Sunday spoke with enthusiasm. Saram is a beautiful planet, and the Nashram are a gentle, wonderful, and ancient race of people. But they're a dying race, David interjected. So they've invited us to live there and learn about them. We decided to accept their invitation. There are others from Earth that have been invited too. Urgency tinted Sunday's voice as she added, John, you and your whole family are invited to come and live on the Shram. But you have to decide quickly. Brico is here to seal the passageway between our worlds because it's becoming unstable. Our destiny is shaped in part by the decisions we make. Sometimes, as John Card learned, a single decision can radically change our life. Seldom, however, are we offered a second chance.
final note. Wednesday, August 10, 2022. Seattle Times Internet News. UW professor and family missing. On Sunday, August 7, John Card, Professor Emeritus of American History at the University of Washington, vanished along with his family. Neighbors said that he and his family were celebrating his 70th birthday when they all went for a ride in his 1917 Ford Model T. They have not been seen since. Authorities say a Model T fitting the description was last seen heading east on Highway 2. Anyone with information regarding the Card family or having seen a dark green Ford Model T should report to their local police or sheriff. Saturday, August 13, 2022, Seattle Times Internet News. Bigfoot is in vogue. National Forest Ranger Jacob Duval of Baker, Washington, reports over a dozen Bigfoot sightings have occurred in the past week. Ranger Duval reminds all visitors to the Baker-Snoqualmie National Forest area, hunting, especially with high-power rifles, is not permitted. The Nishram Secret Original music score by Rick Moyer. Music produced in the studio of Moyer Multimedia. The Nishram Secret. Well, what'd you think? I've heard it before, but it's good as usual. Yeah, I, I think Curtis is very gifted in the area of storytelling and writing. And it definitely makes you think about your life and, and how you would live it and if you have any regrets or not, and, and kind of living for today and living for God, huh? Yeah, it was pretty cool. I'm playing the uh, the end credit music to my son's, uh, our son's movie, One New Message, as we close today. Cool sounding, huh? Yeah. Well, everybody, we hope you have a wonderful Easter. Uh, listen, if you uh, need anything at all, uh, some prayer or you want to talk or you just want to discuss what's going on in your life we'd love to hear from you rick at takehimwithyou.com is my email and yours is amy amy at takehimwithyou.com you can also see all sorts of cool photography and neat things going on every day at our uh, our facebook pages and that's facebook.com 
slash rick.moyer and facebook.com slash amy.moyer. That's right. And we'd love to hear from you. If you uh, feel led, so led to uh, help us out as far as a donation to help uh, keep this coming to you every single week. Um, we do rely quite a bit on donations to pay our bills. I won't lie to you there. Uh, and uh, we have a lot of other things that we do, but uh, we really appreciate those that help us with the podcast. If you want to contribute and help, we would appreciate any donation you could throw our way. Just go to takingwithyou.com and click on the donate button. That'll get you to PayPal and you can help us out if you'd like. So thank you, everybody. Have a great Easter. We love you. And I hope you have an awesome, awesome week. Say bye, Amy. Bye, Amy. Cute. Take Him With You is a Moyer Multimedia LLC production, copyright 2011, all rights reserved. Mm -hmm. Reserved they are. Mm -hmm.